Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Just thank you for the day, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Um, yeah, just Tad said it really well. I mean, just you, you really do want the best for us. You really do have the best for us. And you've shown that over so many examples in our lives in this church. Um, and so as we jump into your word today, God, just pray that you continue to reveal yourself. Um, Lord, help to just show us who you really are, God, all the stuff that we've maybe grabbed onto this last year, false views, false opinions about who you really are, God. May your word just show us who you really are today. Um, help us to submit all of those false things to you and just receive that kind of fresh um, opinion and understanding um, straight from your word, God, versus listening to all these other people and all these people who say that they represent you, but then don't show it. Let's just go back and look at you, Father, because you are good and you do love us. And you showed us that when you're on this earth. So um, pray you'd use my words to just bless those here, Father, that that your Holy Spirit would move, Father, um, and just show people what they need to see, convict people where they need to be convicted. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we got issues, so we're going to jump in, and we'll we'll figure it out eventually. This thing's really loud. Can you guys hear me, like, really well? I can hear myself really well. Okay, cool. Well, hey, I uh, hope everybody's Christmas was great. Was it awesome? You guys have fun? Where, where, where was the farthest somebody went? Okay. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that, that definitely wins. North Carolina, Joe, nice. Um, where? Out to the kitchen. Nice. I did that trip a lot for sure, for sure. I need to change. I need to do that trip less over the next probably month. Probably. Um, it's more of the couch to to the refrigerator was more my thing. Um, yeah, ate way too much uh, sweets for sure. Um. Yeah, <laughs> good one. Yeah, keep it down. So, anyways, uh, yeah, we had a great Christmas. Uh, my parents, kind of the fun, I guess, most fun thing of or interesting thing about Christmas. So it's negative thirty in Kansas City. You guys experienced that. So we 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 uh, went in the hot tub. My, my my parents got a hot tub last year in negative thirty, and our hair froze straight up on our heads. And yeah, it was wild. It was crazy. There we go. So, anyways, it was great. Um, we are going through the Book of Mark. And Jason introed us before Christmas, and I'm kind of continuing through Mark 1, 21 through 45. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to the book of Mark or your phone or whatever, the title of the talk today is A Day in the Life, because that is what uh, Mark 1, 21 through 45 is. It is a day in the life of Jesus. And I'm excited that we're going through the book of Mark. Because A.W. Tozer, I think uh, Jason quoted this, but one of the best quotes, you know, one of the most famous quotes ever is your view of God's the most important thing about you. Um, and that still rings true today is what you think about God, you know, it's with sin, right? When you're dealing with sin, it's not about, oh, gosh, I just need to stop sinning. I just need to stop this. It's understanding how much God loves you, how much he cares about you, setting your mind on the things of God, and then sin naturally starts falling off of you more, right? That, that's, that's it. It's not being like, oh, man, I got to get rid of this. It's understanding who God is, how much he loves you, and really just focusing on the things of God. And so um, a lot of the times why I think this is so important and why we're going through the book of Mark is, like I said in my prayer, we look to other Christians and so, I mean, recently it's been Ravi Zacharias. It's been, you know, huge name Christian, right? And people are looking to him for wisdom and, and guidance and insight. And then he falls. 
and whether you know it or not, and whether you sense it or not, that in our minds, it taints our view of God in ways where we're like, well, that guy said he loved God and look what he did. Or you have Christians around you. Maybe you went to a church and uh, they weren't actually like Jesus there and they hurt you in ways. You start kind of putting, oh, you know, God's, yeah, he's kind of like that. Or your parents, your parents treated you a certain way. Your dad treated you a certain way, et cetera, right? You put that on your view of God. And it doesn't only happen early in life. It happens every single year. You kind of get your view tainted of God. And so what I always do at the beginning of the year, and I'd encourage you to, especially since you're going through Mark, is read through the Gospels at the beginning of the year. That's what I do every single January is read through the Gospels, just trying to zoom out and be like, okay, I might have grabbed onto some stuff over the year that is bad. So let me go back to the truth. Let me go back to the core and just read through the gospels and just Lord refresh my opinion of who you are, who Jesus is by what he did on this earth. And so that's really what we're trying to do uh, by going through the book of Mark. And so we are excited about that. Mark one, one through 20. Nice. We're good to go. Um, A few kind of just background for those of you who are just jumping in uh, four different people, et cetera, have testified that Jesus is God. Uh, number one, John the Baptist, kind of the creepy, crazy guy who eats locusts in the wilderness. He was the first guy. He, he's preparing the way for Jesus. So he testifies. The spirit descends on Jesus after he's baptized and testifies, no, this is my son whom I love, with who I'm well pleased. Satan brings Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days, which... I didn't go in the wilderness for 40 days when I, you know, got baptized. And so obviously this person, Jesus is a unique individual, right? He's the son of God. Satan had to drug him out to try to tempt him and get him off his rocker, right? So he's important. There's something special about this guy. Testifies he is the Christ. He is the chosen one. And then we start seeing disciples follow Jesus as well. So he starts calling people, Simon, Andrew, etc., to drop their nets and follow him. So that's kind of what we've seen so far in the book of Mark is people testifying, this is the Christ. This is the Christ, and he is the Son of God. And Mark presents verses 21 through 38 as really comprising of a single day. So what we're going to talk about today, most of it was in a single day. So it's kind of a day in the life of Jesus is kind of how he starts off. Um, So had some pretty crazy stuff happen to him. And so with that, let's jump right into Mark 21 and see what we're talking about today. So it says this, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what business do you have with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately after they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and they immediately spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. 
and she served them. Now, when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may also preach there, for this is why I came. And he went into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee and casting out the demons. And a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. So that's our text for today. So let's jump in. This is a day in the life of Jesus. So the first thing we see uh, here is they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus enters the synagogue, begins to teach, and people are amazed by his teaching. For see, they saw he was teaching as someone who has authority. And so Capernaum, um, we actually, Ali and I went on a trip to Israel after uh, seminary with the seminary class, and we were in Capernaum for a day. And it's a really small town on the north side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Really, really beautiful. Um, really, really beautiful small town. And so they walk into the synagogue. So those who don't know what the synagogue is, it's really this auditorium. It's this, it's this um, you'd say, uh, an assembly hall type of thing. Okay. And um, they would go in. The tour was read and spoken about. There was a ruler of the synagogue is kind of what they had back in the day, but he wasn't a, a preacher of sorts. He more managed the synagogue and managed uh, the, the various things that needed to happen there. So Jesus walking in and teaching was something that could happen. Somebody could come in and start teaching. Like it wasn't like, this is my church. What are you doing? Like that didn't happen. So Jesus walks in, he starts teaching and immediately the people are blown away. Right? So it's like, I don't know. If you think of this church, and let's say it's not a church, let's say it's a group of people talking, and you hear some people talking about some cool things, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. You have like Jordan Peterson or someone, you know, who people are interested by are coming in and talking, and they're like, this is really interesting. And then this new guy walks in, and you're like, this is at a level I've never seen before. That's kind of like what's happening here. And what it says specifically is not as the scribes, which that stinks for the scribes, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's way better than you, pretty much. You're not not quite as good. That's kind of how it works right there. Um, and these scribes are interesting. So why is it better than the scribes? They were, first of all, experts in the Torah. So that's kind of, so the, so the first five books of, um, of, of the law, uh, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what, what they were experts in. They were capable of issuing binding decision on its interpretation. So these guys were also called rabbis. So they were called great one. So these scribes were actually really well looked upon in Jesus's day. If you saw one on the street, you would move to the side. 
generally. Uh, they got the, the best seats in the synagogue. These people were actually highly exalted um, in, in their communities. And so even by the time Jesus came around, they'd almost reached like this legendary status, right? So think of people who have this legendary status. Like I said, in the world, it would be people like your authors or your podcasters that you listen to, or people you're like, wow, this person's really wise, you know? That that's the type of people, or even theologians in the Christian sense. Wow, this guy knows, you know, D.A. Carson knows so much. And so when Jesus walks in, they see that the authority that he has is extremely different. Extremely different, right? They see that these scribes had authority based on uh, history, right? There were people that said, hey, you know, over, over long periods of time, these scribes are the people we should listen to. Um, they had authority because people said they had authority. Jesus had a supernatural authority, right? Uh, a supernatural authority that kind of goes really deep. And, and we understand how, how we feel about this, right? I mean, people, if you've come to Christ, you understand what it was like when you'd been in church your whole life and you'd heard really good things and wise things, and then you really get it right? You understand how it cuts to the heart when you hear truly the gospel and it hits you that first time. That's what these people are experiencing, is they're hearing something greater than tradition, greater than the past. They're hearing something that cuts, and that's that spiritual power is what they're hearing. So that's what we see happening right here. Even to a level that in Mark eleven eighteen it says the chief priests and scribes heard Jesus speaking. They tried to put him, they start thinking about how to put him to death, and they were afraid of him because all the crowd was so astonished by his teaching. So this level of amazement was all the way down to fear, where they're like, we've had this position for so many years, and this guy comes in, and this power he has, it just, it just goes above everything we've ever seen. It's truly something supernatural. So we see he immediately comes in and authority have, they see his authority. Then let's continue. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So not only do the religious leaders who were pretty much legendary at that time immediately recognize this guy has an authority we, we haven't experienced, but we see the demons recognizing it also. When I was in high school, an example of this, when I was in high school, we'd play like pickup basketball and we'd go to different courts or, you know, indoor, outdoor, et cetera, and play basketball. And you'd always have the guys who would show up and, you know, they've got really nice basketball shoes and they're like jacked and stuff. And you're like, this guy's going to destroy us. We totally know. And we're like, we don't want this guy to play basketball with us. Let's try to get him, you know, to another court or something. That's kind of what's happening here, right? The demons see Jesus walk in and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's got power. We have not seen, you know, it's like, we, we know who this guy is. He's Jesus. And so this authority he has, just makes the Jesus makes the demons just terrified of them. And the interesting part is there were exorcists actually back in Jesus' day. Um, he was not the only one who's tried to kind of cast out demons, but a lot of the stuff they would do back then 
were kind of more fancy, elaborate, superstitious type stuff. Uh, a commentator, David Guzik, uh, talks about the ancient account from Josephus about this ancient exorcist called Eleazar. And this is what he says about kind of how they used to do, um, kind of try to cast out demons. He said this, he said, he put to the nose of the possessed man a ring, which had under its seal one of the roots prescribed by Solomon. And then as the man smelled it, drew out the demon through his nostrils. And then the man at once fell down, adjured the demon never to come back into him, speaking Solomon's name and reciting the incantations which he'd composed, then wishing to convince the bystanders and prove to them that he had this power. Eliezer placed a cup or or foot basin full of water a little way off and commanded the demon as it went out of the man to overturn it and make known to the spectators that he had left the man. This is just one account of what these people were used to back then in terms of demon possession. And even you see it with um, who's, who's watched the chosen. Has anyone watched the chosen? Yeah. So it really, I really like the show. Um, anyways, in the chosen Nicodemus goes down to, to Mary and kind of to her, her house and stuff. And they're trying to do these special incantations and stuff. And, and, the demon pretty much scares him off. It doesn't work very well. And then Jesus comes in and saves her. So very similar situation like that. And so this is what these people were used to was kind of the, the special ways of doing thing. And so let's just see how Jesus uh, ended up pulling this off. I think it might be a little bit different. It says in Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news spread about him everywhere into all the surrounding regions of Galilee. So this formula that was used for generations that didn't really work, Jesus comes in, he's like, be quiet, come out of him. And the deal's done. And so not only has he like amazed these people in the synagogue with his teaching and the authority he has, he's now just knocked out demons, just like, ding, you're done. Easy. And so once again, what do we see? Amazement. These people are amazed. That's their first reaction of Jesus. So let's keep going into this day. This is a normal day for Jesus. This is casual for him. This is every day. And immediately after they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and they immediately spoke to Jesus about her. Um, so Simon Peter, his, his uh, mother lived in Capernaum. We've been to the ruins. It's kind of a cool little area and stuff. And Jesus runs into various forms of evil, right? He's running into the demons, and then now he's running into sickness. Jesus doesn't want us to be sick. He doesn't like sickness. That's not something that's going to be in heaven. We're not all going to catch the flu or COVID in heaven. It's going to be gone. He wants us feeling great. He wants us operating in joy and passion and excitement and our bodies functioning at a great level. That, that's what he wants from us. Um, but they had really special ways to heal people back then, as well as casting out demons. It was kind of the same thing. They had all these weird things. So let's, let's look at this. this is from William Barclay. He says, Peter's mother-in-law was suffering from what the Talmud called a burning fever. It was, it, it was and still is very prevalent in that particular part of Galilee. 
The Talmud actually lays down the method of dealing with it. A knife made wholly of iron was tied by a braid of hair to a thorn bush. On successive days, there was repeated first Exodus 3, 2, 3, second Exodus 3, 4, and finally Exodus 3, 5. Then a certain magical formula was pronounced, and thus the cure was supposed to be achieved. Jesus completely disregarded all the paraphernalia of popular magic, and with a gesture and a word of unique authority and power, he healed the woman. And so we see, once again, all these weird ways that people are trying to heal that people are used to. These people are used to those things happening. And Jesus comes in. And what does he do? And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she served them. Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door and healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So he immediately heals the sickness. So now we've seen he comes in with authority, teaches, cuts to the heart, knocks out demons. The past was all incantations. He's like, get out of them. You're done. Then moves on to healing. Heals, boom, you're done. He's just going through and just curing and healing and loving and caring for people. Is this, do we realize that this is what he focused on? You know, like think about it. I, I think if you follow Christianity today, you might think he went to a theology class and, you know, learned a bunch of stuff and. He went to the top scholars and did some, had some discussions and, you know, uh, was trying to sort out, you know, whether Calvinism or Arianism. I mean, that's, that's kind of what, what you'd think. Or maybe he'd go talk to the rich, to the rich uh, people and say, hey, we got to make sure we have enough money. You know, that's probably really important uh, for our, for, you know, this whole thing to work. So let's find who are the top five richest people, you know. Okay, let's go talk with them. Let's get them on board with this whole operation. You might think that's the first thing. Um there are lots of other things that we think of, right? He might have gone out and said, you guys are all, you know, the worst. And, I'm, you know, you all need to get it all figured out and all this stuff. I mean, we have all these different ways that the things that we think Jesus would have done when he started off his ministry. But what the reality is, is he came, he preached the gospel, and he healed people. He cared for the sick. He cared for the demon-possessed. He spoke truth to people. It's a very, for me at least, like it's very different from a lot of times what you maybe think. He just loved people. He just cared for them. And so it's 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 kind of crazy um, looking at like this first day and being like, what was his focus? It was on caring for people. It was on loving people. It was on destroying evil. That was what he focused on every single day. It wasn't all this extra stuff we sometimes think. I was going to tell a story. We've actually been to uh, that synagogue. Well, this is not the synagogue that they would have been in, the one on the right, kind of. They were in a different one, but we've been to Capernaum. That's kind of a picture of it and stuff. Um, and actually saw healing in the synagogue in the same kind of area where all this happened, which is really, really cool uh, back in the fourth century. So let's keep going. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him. 
And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may also preach there. For this is why I came. And he went into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee and casting out the demons. And a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So what's the next situation he runs into? He runs into a man with leprosy. Well, let's look at leprosy. So leprosy in the Old Testament was considered a divine punishment. So it wasn't just something you contracted. It was something that was viewed as it was, it was divine. It was from the, like God, this, this was given you for a reason kind of, right? Um, in Leviticus, it says the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Doesn't sound like a very fun life, right? They were required to stand at a distance of 50 paces away from people. And so running into somebody who was a leper, you didn't run into them this close. They were supposed to be away. They were supposed to be out. And, um, and so it's pretty crazy to think that. So, I mean, it was pretty much the worst thing that could happen to you, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's a divine punishment is how they viewed it in the Old Testament. And so the leper violates this law and violates these things coming in and pretty much reaching their hand out to Jesus. And so think of, you know, the worst of the worst coming up to Jesus. That's exactly what happened here. And what does Jesus do to the worst of the worst? He's moved with compassion. Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. And so what does Jesus do with the worst of the worst? Somebody who's divinely punished, they would say he's moved with compassion, which everybody knows, you know, this word's brought up a lot. Splunk, nizomai, move to one's bowels. Move to one's bowels. Another interesting thing about this, and don't take this to the bank. Don't go tell everybody about it. This is just something that I found in my research, just like researching this passage a bit. So it's kind of like interesting, you know, it, may or may not be like totally, you know, something. So, but I think it's interesting. A very old and kind of important manuscript actually reads filled with anger in this situation, which like at first reading is kind of weird. You're like, wait, what? But, you know, back in the book of Judges, it talks about how uh, when the people got rid of foreign gods, um, God was indignant. He was angry over that misery that, that, that Israel felt. And so another way you could look at this, which I think is really cool, is that he was indignant over the misery of the leper. He was angry that this leper had to feel this pain, that he had to go through this situation. That's what God felt in this situation. And this is how he feels for us. Um, when he sees our sin, when he sees the stuff that we're going through, he, he feels indignant. He's, he's, he, he feels compassion, and he also is angry that we're going through this because he doesn't want that for us. And that's exactly what you see in Jesus's response here. 
That's probably gonna be really tiny, but I'll read it off. So in this very first day, as just a quick summary of what we've read in the life of Jesus, he starts off, amazes people with his authoritative teaching, frees people from demonic oppression, heals people from illness, injury, and disease, and then moves is moved with compassion for a leper who's the worst of the worst. So how does that... And then at the same time, he tells people to not let anybody know about it, right? Which makes no sense. If we did that, we'd probably be like, yeah, let's tell some people about this. You know, this is this is awesome. We should tell some people about all the stuff we did. Jesus is like, no, don't tell anybody about it. Like I said, I think that day in the life is extremely different from how a lot of the times I think we see the ministry of Jesus starting off, but it's good to come back to it and see like, what did he do? He preached the gospel. He loved people. He cared for them. He went to the worst of the worst. That's how he tees off his ministry. So don't you think that's what he continues to want to do today? Has he changed? No. So that's like, that's exactly what he wants today. And those things that were important to him back then are still important today. And the things that he puts at the top of the list of the top things I'm going to do are still the top of the list today. And so when we look at how to look at a passage like this and wh- how do you apply this to your life, you just have to ask yourself what we started with and what Tad talked about and what we'll talk about after this. Who do you say that Jesus is? You know, like what's your opinion of who Jesus is? What stuff have you brought in? Opinions about Christ. And does what we read today, this day in the life of Jesus, did those things fit into what your view is? Or do they go against it? Are they different? Is he way better than you ever thought? Or is he way better than what you've experienced or what you're coming into today thinking because of whatever situation? I mean, if you're not a follower of Christ, you need to answer this question because this stuff that we're reading right here and that we're going to continue to go in in the book of Mark is is actual historical fact. It's not just the Lord of the Rings, you know, part four or anything like that. Like this is this is real historical proven facts. These things happened. And so you have to, as somebody who's considering Christianity, look at this and say, wait a second, this is totally different from what I thought. And you have to deal with it. You can't run around the outside. You have to go through it. And that's what C.S. Lewis says in one of his famous quotes, I think, on this point. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a moral teacher. He'd be a lunatic at the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. And so as somebody who's considering Christ and you look at what Jesus did, who he is, what we're reading in in Mark, um, you have to consider it and you have to figure out who is this guy. 
Another application, I guess, would be in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. I think also reading about Jesus and how good he is in this passage makes you come back to, Jesus has rest for me. He wants the best for me. I need to fall on my knees and surrender to him. I think that's, all, that's also the feeling I have when I read that passage in Mark and all the amazing things and all the stuff that he did starting off his ministry is we need to surrender. He has a light yoke, an easy burden, right? It's, it's, not, it's not this complicated thing. Um, and we can see how good he is that he wants to heal us. He doesn't want all this sickness and all these things that were happening. He wants to just heal and make things better for everybody. And so, um, you know, in the, in the Christmas sermon, you know, it's Luke two fourteen, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's like God's favor rests on us. And we see that clearly here. Um, and so have we submitted to him to find rest for our souls? I think that's another, that's another thing for somebody who's a Christian. And then the third thing that kind of stuck out to my mind after reading this was come boldly before God to receive the help we need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. So we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Also, what you can do by what we read today is realize that you don't have to be afraid to come before Jesus when you have illnesses, when you have ailments, when you have issues you're going through because he's one step ahead of you. He wants to heal it already. You just have to come boldly before him and ask. And that's what we see in all these different scenarios is people just boldly coming, even the leper boldly coming before him and saying, help me. I need it. I need help. Um, and so I think that's another thing as Christians that we can bring from this passage is are we um, going into the new year? Do we really understand who Jesus is? And are we boldly coming before him and, and kind of just submitting our needs and letting him heal us like we saw in, in this passage in Mark today? So um, that is uh, Mark, the second, second half of Mark 1. Uh, we're going to be moving into Mark 2 uh, next week, I'm assuming. Uh, or we're in a couple of weeks or whenever we start doing it. We'll see <laughs> at some point. Um, but, but yeah, Jesus is good. And I hope uh, some of this stuff stuck out to you guys. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do communion. Father, we come before you in Jesus name and Lord, just thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the book of Mark, God, and just how, uh, in, in each of these situations that you show your authority um, that you're not using all these crazy incantations and trying to use human means. You have a spiritual power that cuts to the heart, that changes our life, Lord. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for your supernatural authority that comes from God alone um, and how you use it to intervene and, and really make our lives uh, just more like yours on a daily basis. And just thank you for the compassion that, that you show, Lord, as you come onto this earth, that you're not... Um, just discussing things and talking about things and, you know, giving big, big speeches. That's part of what you did, but you went and got into the 
hardest parts of the world, into the lepers, into those who are sick, those who are ill, and focused on healing and those who are demonized, who who literally have evil attacking them directly, um, and and healed them, Father. And just thank you for that. Thank you how much you care for those who are low and lost and 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 really need you, Father, in in in, in all these really tough situations that we as humans don't know how to fix. And so, um, thank you for your compassion and how you hate when we're off, Lord. When when we're when we're struggling, you you hate that. You want us to be. Uh, in peace and joy um, just in this world. And so, Lord, uh, we love you and just pray that we would continue to understand who you are this year um, and really just set our eyes on you as the author and perfecter of our faith, um, as, as the center of all that we want to do in 2023. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.